Hello, folks. Welcome to Courtside Wellness. I'm your host, Brandon St. Croix, former athlete and current social worker. On today's episode, we will be sitting down with Dr. Jerry Reynolds, assistant professor at Ball State University, vice president of the Alliance of Social Workers in Sport, researcher, and former athlete. We will sit down and talk about the evolution of sports social work, research that has gone into sports social work, and policy and changes, as well as the Alliance of Social Workers in Sport and their academic journal. Thank you, and enjoy. And folks, we're back. Today joining us courtside is Dr. Jerry Reynolds, Assistant Professor at Ball State University, Vice President of the Alliance of Social Workers in Sport, and Editorial Board Member for the Sports Social Work Journal. Thank you, Jerry, for joining us today. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. It's a great honor, i got to say. You know, we've got to meet over the years at the Alliance conferences, and it's great to have you on courtside to talk about your own experience of sports social work. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So in terms of for yourself, how did the merge happen between social work and sports? Well, um, I always had a curiosity. Um, actually, it sort of started a long time ago. Um, I actually was an MSW student at Michigan in 2003. And I noticed that there was a potential to intern with the athletic department there. And due to some circumstances in the department and with the internship structure, like unfortunately it fell apart. And then um, I just kind of kept revisiting the topic over the years. And then um, when I applied to PhD programs, I, in 2015, I started really considering sort of this intersection of sport and social work and, you know, um, different aspects that I could look at, you know, what, you know, I wanted to study something that I was really, really interested in. So especially when you're making a, you know, four to six year commitment in a PhD program, you definitely want to have something that you're interested in. And um, I just kind of kept going. And um, the first thing I did was honestly, I dug deeply into the, um, to start looking at the history of sport and social work. And um at the very first Alliance conference, I was invited and uh, actually made the very first presentation at our very first conference. So that was kind of fun. And ever since then, I've just kind of stuck with it. And um, I expanded my, re- I kind of started out in the college, the history space, expanded to college athletes and sort of transitions that athletes face. And then I've actually branched out now to family and uh, parent role in sports. And now I'm really, um, my role at the Alliance has evolved. And then now um, I've actually identified some other topics, like looking at how kind of in a macro space, like how uh, people experience a sense of community through sport or don't experience a sense of community. So kind of tying all this together. And then last but not least, another thing that I want to mention is that uh, this past year, I had the opportunity with Dr. Matt Moore and uh, Dr. Samantha Bates over at Ohio State, um, and Matt is in my department at Ball State as well. And we did a study on virtual spectating, the kind of the experiences of the parent as virtual spectator um, during the COVID pandemic. And it's been very interesting to kind of see like how people's individual relationships, their um, communal relationships, and also sort of family relationships have been enhanced in some capacities and other capacities. They've been really hindered by um, the pandemic and just the different interaction that families are having in sports. 
And it's so true in terms of, you know, going back to how sports social work can be such a wide range and how we can look at it from so many different levels, from the macro level to the micro level to the meso level, but also looking at it from so many different angles. Because, again, it's easy to think, okay, you're taking care of the well-being of athletes. But, again, there's so many more people to play in that athlete's life as well. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, it's not just – it's, you know, you're looking at parents – um, increasingly involved nationally and internationally in sports. Um, I think sometimes the parent kind of becomes the focus and the kid loses, you know, they lose perspective on what their role is. Um, you also look at referees, you look at coaches, you look at all the administrative folks, um, whether they're volunteer or paid. Um, and there's a lot there in terms of just how um, you know, one thing that we've identified as an organization is that coaches nationally and internationally, you know, they may know how to coach their game and they know their X's and O's, but, you know, they may have some skills that they could benefit from learning from social workers, such as how to address mental health emergencies, how to communicate better, how to do all those things. And I think the same thing goes for families. It's about how do we, you know, do we institute a rule, you know, where we don't talk about you know, poor performances for like 24 hours or like just let it ride. And, you know, when those emotions get really high. So it's about, it's really helping families um, and individuals and groups. And I think organizations too navigate sort of the different hurdles that they face because ultimately the end goal is we want everybody to gain a lot from sport and have a positive experience. But the reality is, is, is sometimes we can get in the way of that. And I think social workers are, you know, we're known for helping people whether it's individuals, groups, um, or communities and organizations navigate those processes. So that's another, it's always an opportunity to help have us do that. And, and again, the, you know, one area that social work have a great wealth of knowledge about, and you've done a lot of research and writing about is around youth development and how sport can impact that as well in both fashions. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing some work right now. Uh, I just, you know, I mentioned that I did a little research on virtual spectating and kind of that interaction with that. I haven't directly uh, focused on athletes themselves. I've more focused on the parents um, just because, you know, obviously I think it's an understudied area and parents ultimately are the drivers of what happens like positive and negative experiences. And they, a lot of times in most places are creating those experiences for young people, whether they're organizing the leagues, coaching the teams, paying or, you know, uh, at the high school level, you know, it, it, it's kind of like they're facilitating it, but in a very different way. And then you get up into the other levels. And I think parents really have an important role. And it's really about finding that, that happy medium and sort of looking at this ideal, you know, we, we have all these books on parenting and we have all these books, <laughs> but we don't have a lot of resources, unfortunately, about sport parenting. And it's about how to but it's also about like, you know, what, how do understanding like how frequent things happen, such as like how frequently are parents coaching from the sidelines? How frequently um, are they causing disruptions and really trying to put some factual knowledge behind, you know, sometimes what are um, assumptions about, um, you know, individuals, environments in their communities. So it's really trying to put facts behind, uh, trying to understand the challenges a little better. And then once you understand the challenges, you can obviously uh, focus on intervention. Those are great points there. Cause again, it's hard to make change or hard for programs or policies change. If there's no research or knowledge to back that up. 
And where exactly. do you think are the biggest things that need to change in the parent in the sport parent aspect? Um, I think it's mainly about understanding the role um, in sport and what facilitates um, appropriate development. But also, uh, it's I think it's sometimes it's about you know I'm a parent of three boys myself and three all three boys play sports. I have an 11 year old, an eight year old, and an f- almost five year old. And it's about knowing uh, what does your child need. Um, to be successful because, you know, for one, one thing may not work and for somebody else, something else may work. And so it's about having different communication styles and also understanding that the sport environment that we, you know, maybe your children play in today is very different from yours. I um, mean, acknowledging and validating their own individual experience and their own needs. But also it's about um, having a relationship that, you know, is a trusting relationship and it doesn't, um, you know, you're, you're not using sport as a weapon or as, you know, a, a disciplinary tool. You're using it as a way to enhance uh, your relationship with your child and with others. And I think it's also about modeling appropriate behavior because, you know, you know, all the different theorists will tell, you know, modeling says, you know, there's so many different theories that talk about this, but I think it's like, it's modeling that behavior is extremely important. And last but not least, um, there is significant research that links um, parent relationships to the ability of kids to stay in sports and remain in sports. And we're having a significant challenge in the United States right now with dropout. Um, And I I don't know the numbers in Canada, but I'm guessing it's probably pretty similar. Um, And then also for like, especially for lower income kids, um, the, the numbers are much higher. Um, than 70%. So, you know, a lot of times we have to find appropriate ways to engage kids. And it's not about just engaging them, but it's about keeping them in the game. And so they develop those lifelong habits and want to continue participating um, as they get older. And one thing that's interesting too, we talk about, you know, engaging the kids. What do you think needs to happen to engage the parents? Because again, like we said, kids is one part of it, but like I said, the parents is a whole another subcategory. I think sometimes it's it's a couple things. things. Um, it's about knowing yourself as a parent. And knowing like your your own history, at, you know, we always talk in social work about your own history and knowing sort of like how you're, you know, are there things that, you know, might make you upset or like, you know, do you set boundaries, you know, and, and also, like I said, block out your own experiences and know that your experiences are going to be different than your own child's, whether they're positive or negative. And then I think, too, um, it's about letting coaches coach and knowing how to um, empower, you know. It's also about empowering your kids, I think, you know, to ask questions like, hey, or, you know, to talk to your coach to say, you know, and not trying to run interference necessarily, unless obviously there's like a safe, a major safety issue concern, you know, there's potential, some boundary issues, things like that. But it's about empowering your kids and it's about letting coaches coach. And, um, but also I think it's about finding, you know, making informed decisions about sports as well. Um, You know, it's about what, what's good, you know, what's, what do you need for your family? What, you know, what can you do that's feasible financially? What can you swing? Um, and that's been a big, you know, sports are getting very expensive. Um, and they have been increasingly expensive and, you know, just focusing on what you're, you know, balancing that need to play, but also sort of like, um, the different challenges out there. And in terms of from an organizational standpoint, you know, what changes can organizations make to engage parents in a, a more holistic way as well? 
I think as well, I think it's about setting like some standards that are, are across the board. It's not just about printing out a page of rules and, you know, sharing them. It's about, you know, making sure that um, there are standards. And if you do have standards, make sure they're enforced um, to, for protection. But also like, you know, I think accountability is big. Like make if somebody is out of line, making sure that there's consequences. Um, and then also, you know, being consistent, you know, with your st- application of those standards too. Because people want to experience that joy. They want to experience that sense of community. Um, they want to have good competition. Um, and I think one way is to do that is just to really make sure that, um, and I think increasingly like venue managers, you know, making sure that your venues are appropriate in, in, and are able to meet people's needs. Like, you know, in the pandemic, one of the things that, you know, the biggest frustration that people had was, you know, I want to, I want to pull up my phone and watch Facebook live, but this place that we're at doesn't have Wi-Fi, you know, and it's like, you know, sometimes setting that tone and an expectation to say, well, you know, maybe if you choose to do that, you're not going to get good Wi-Fi or if you offer it, you know, make sure that it's a good service. So it's sort of like trying to provide a good balance of appropriate delivery, but also within, you know, what's reasonable and what's expected. So setting out the mandate early and kind of holding that accountability across the board. Exactly. And also being flexible because like, as we've learned anything, I mean, COVID has been an extremely fluid situation and knowing that things can change on a dime, um, you know, and just being happy that, you know, uh, people will do the right, try to do the right thing. And, um, you know, knowing that things can change on a dime and, you know, just to be adaptable. And in a way, it reminds me, I know across Canada, across the minor hockey uh, programs, one thing that they've mandated is that prior to season starting, the coaches and the organization has a meeting with all parents around, here's what the expectations of rules are, here's the rules for parents in you know during games, during practices, and here's the consequences if these rules are not followed. Yep. So again, we are bringing that across the board. Yeah. Um, yep. You're absolutely right. And you brought up about COVID too and how, you know, things are constantly changing, constantly being fluid. What would you say has been one of the biggest impacts, either positive or negative, for um, sports I think, I think, um, I think from the virtual standpoint, and I'm going to speak for what our study showed, um, from the virtual standpoint, there was parents who, you know, honestly, in some respects said that this, you know, kind of staying back and staying home and being able to watch their kids play on, uh, you know, through a, an, a virtual channel. Um, was was a positive experience. It helped them manage their environment. Um, some parents, you know, aren't necessarily the big sport, biggest sports fans themselves. Um, so they were able to kind of sit back and have a more limited role, and that was fine for them. And then there was others who had sort of the opposite reaction, you know, really, really a lot of loss, a lot of grief, um, significant challenges from, you know, other things that... Um, sort of like losses that were just from the loss of a sense of community change relationships with their kids. Um, another thing though, that was interesting when speaking of change relationships was that some people said, you know, in our study that they were able to watch relatives or engage relatives that maybe they couldn't engage in their kids' sports teams because of, you know, being able to watch through like the computer or the phone or whatever. So people got to see relatives that maybe they necessarily couldn't go to watch live. So, sort of like a shaking up of all the, you know, the interactions that people have. And that's really, you know, now it's like, okay, what do we do with this? And, um, you know, how do we, where do we go from here? 
Yeah, and that's an interesting point because I never would have thought about it in terms of, you know, if there's a older family member who is not able to, you know, venture out to the gym or the arena or the stadium, but is able to watch, you know, from their smartphone or from a laptop, you know, while they're at a, you know, location thousands of miles away, that can increase accessibility there as well. Yeah, and I know that, like, you know, but also I think it really raises some legal and uh, ethical concerns. Like when you're looking at, you know, broadcasting, making sure that people have permission to have their kids on video, um, especially like you get into copyright issues if music is playing in the background. I know some sports have really done a good job. Like I know um, in the U.S., I know um, like uh, youth hockey in the U.S. has like an approved list of songs they can play like in between you know, periods and things like that. So there's no questions about what can be played and what cannot be played musically. Um, but, you know, when you have kids that are, you know, informally have their song, walk up song played and this, you know, the school, the it's on a video or a live stream and the, the organization doesn't have rights to play that music, you know, you're running into other issues and potentially legal battles. And, you know, most parents, I don't think, have the right to, you know, sue Jay-Z or somebody else or whoever the music's from for thousands and thousands of dollars for inappropriate use of music. So that's, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to consider, um, you know, just in terms of ethics. Yeah. That was a great point, too, because, again, you know, oftentimes, you know, we think in the moment, OK, you know, it's about the phone, it's about the engagement. Great. But, you know, there's so many implications around that as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's making sure your, your bases are covered and um, knowing what to do, what's what's good, what's, you know, you want to again, it's ultimately about providing the best experience for for everybody involved and um, making sure that you uh, take appropriate steps to ensure the that that all the rules are followed as well. So. And you talked about, like I said, you know, you went through University of Michigan's uh, master social program in 2003. You know, University of Michigan's a big sport, uh, social work institution as well. In terms of the changes that you've seen in almost the 20 years, you've been, you know, interested and engaged in the field. Oh, gosh, it's it's vast. Um, I'll, I'll preface by saying I was only at Michigan for a year because I did the advanced standing program. Um but just knowing like over there, like all the different things that they've done and, you know, addressing depression, working with athletes. But I also think the biggest change that I've seen um, is now you're seeing a lot of athletes enter social work on the field. And I think that's a really, it's great. Like they've done a really good job at their institution of channeling athletes through the master's program. And um, often, you know, sometimes very public figures, you know, on campus. And so I think that really, it builds a little bit of a brand in social work. Um, and I know other institutions have done the same thing. So I'm not just going to speak to one of my alma maters, but I know at Ball State, you know, one of the things that we're doing, you know, we're very fortunate that we have a very strong sport management program, very strong sports psychology program, and a strong kind of connection to sport and social work with Dr. Moore and I being on faculty, us part of a very pretty small faculty. And, um, you know, we're not necessarily at the point where we're teaching a lot of courses in sports social work at our university, but our students are really engaging across disciplines. And, you know, we're, you know, I have sports psychology student and exercise psych students who work for me, um, or I invite them to work on projects with me. Um, other departments, like we have some great scholars, like uh, in our sport 
in our sport management department, uh, like Dr. Kyrie Walker and some others that have really, um, and Lindsey Blom as well, who have stepped up to serve and are very involved in the Applied Sport Management Association and the American Association of Sports Psychologists. So it's like, we're always kind of playing off of each other. And I think that that's when you see the field growing is when other fields have you at the table and you're all collectively trying to say, let's just make this work and figure out, you know, how can you explore a problem or what resources do you have that we can share? And I think that that's what I've seen in the last, like, really the last five to 10 years is more of this sharing of information and resources rather than kind of, you know, trying to break down those silos. Yeah. So it's, it's a really, it's really great. And I'm glad you brought that Ball State because again, there's a lot of innovative things that Ball State is doing in terms of the interdisciplinary. I know recently I had a Ball State student reach out to me who's a former athlete who's doing a couple of master courses and said one of their assignments was around transformational leadership. And it was great to see the sports social work part brought in to other disciplines such as business. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, and I'm glad you bring that up because like, you know, uh, we actually, and, and kind of another COVID story, speaking of Ball State, uh, we have some people in our network that uh, uh, Miss Kimberly Gibson, Miss Kimberly Gibson, she um, is at Alabama and she was having a hard time placing some students um, because of COVID at, at their field placement in Alabama. And so Dr. basically she placed them with Dr. Moore to do like a virtual internship through the Alliance. And next thing you know, they did a lot of the, the seed work to get our journal, um, the, the sports social work journal rolling and sort of like looking at our aims, our mission, our purpose, what all the things we needed to do to like get this ball rolling. And um, we we're fortunate that at our institution that the, the library, our, our library house, uh, houses several journals, not a ton, but a few. And, Basically, we just asked, like, what do we need to do to have you guys house things for us? And obviously, there's a lot of paperwork and logistics. But but I mean, ultimately, like we're in a position right now where Ball State has been very supportive of us, um, like paying our our open access fees. So our journal is open access and it's Ball State is paying those fees for us for right now. And that's that's really great that they were able to partner with the Alliance to make this happen. So it's it's like it's just another example of like partnerships that are continuing to happen throughout the field. And you know, and our organization has people working not just nationally, but internationally. Uh, we have some partnerships with the Sport and Social Change Network and also um, Mission 89, which is a human trafficking and sport uh, organization based in Switzerland. So, you know, we have a couple more things we're working on as well, um, hopefully releasing soon, you know, with other partnerships to um, just continue to engage people across disciplines. And it's great to hear, like I said, the growth of the Alliance, like I said, yeah. right, right back from the first conference in Denver, like I said, how it's grown over the years, like I said, even through the pandemic and virtual means and how it's grown across, you know, universities, institutions, different countries. So talk about that growth. Yeah, I think right now, I last time I checked, I think we're at about 280 members, um, which, you know, I think we started with like 15, 20 tops. Um, <laughs> and it's really grown over time, like really to encompass like practitioners, researchers, uh, you, a lot of, a lot of students. There's a lot of student interest. Like I have two student interns right now. Um, I have one from, she's actually a varsity athlete from the university of Southern California. And then I have another, um, who is a MSW student at Northern Kentucky university. So I have, I'm virtually interacting with students on completely different sides of the country. 
Um, I have some other students who have inquired as well and are looking to set up internships. So, you know, that's, that's something that um, we're going to continue to see more of and more inquiry about is like, what, what's the, um, you know, what's the state of the field and what can we do to uh, enhance that? So it's, it's, it's just a great time. And, you know, we're looking forward to doing more work. And over the span of your experience and, and work within the sports social field, what would you say is one of the biggest moments that you can look back and say, wow, this has been, you know, to date, one moment that's been monumental for yourself? Um, I think for me, it's the fact that I've been able to stay with it. And, you know, I've been very much a part of the growth of the organization. And I've always felt supported um, by members of the organization. But also, I think we've been able to work through some pretty significant challenges, like, you know, growing pains and, you know, other challenges that we've been able to work through. And it's like Davenport's organization that we've been, you know, has been around for six years now and going into our seventh year and really thriving um, and changed at the same time. And like, you know, it, it's, it's really rewarding. So I think for me, it's to be part of the process more than anything. And to be honestly, it's about being part of the team um, and to try to engage folks and welcome them and, you know, find out about their interests and see what we can do. And, you know, building those connections, I think is really, really important. So that's something that I've been able to do and meet lots of people around the country and, you know, increasingly around the world. Um, and I'm proud to say that I have some lifelong friendships that have evolved as a result of, you know, and colleagues as well. And, you know, it's not just about being introduced for your, you know, your day job. It's about being introduced for, you know, another thing that you're doing. And that's pretty special. And I'm glad you brought up about that partnership and that lifelong connection and friendship in the sports social field. And actually, um, Bill Vanderbilt from the University of Michigan spoke yep. highly about yourself and, you know, the oh, work thank you've you. done in terms of the, you know, be, talking about the Jane Adams, you know, movement of how that was really around sport and social work. You know, we go back to the origins of social work. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's one of the things that I think I wanted to unearth as like, you know, as I got started was just, and I'm actually looking to do some follow-up work to that because I feel like there's this whole story about like, that really wasn't framed as support social work. It was framed as like children being able to play, being, being, you know, released from like poor working conditions and things like that. But really it was about bringing together for sport and you dig more and more. And it's like, you know, the fact that whole house hosted youth leagues multiple sports, um, welcomed people to the community through sport, um, created diverse interactions that weren't always friendly, you know, like when the Greeks and the Irish and the Italians all got together, that wasn't a peaceful environment all the time. But the reality was, is they learned to work out those differences, you know, through sport, um, in some respects. And then also the role of women in sport too. I think, um, that's really been, you know, I, as early as 1907, it's been documented that Hull House had a basketball team that that was comprised of women. So it's like, it's not, it wasn't just about men. Um, it was, it's about women and the growth of, you know, sports as a whole. And I think that we've, um, but also one last thing is that a lot of the high school um, leagues and such sort of the spread of sport into schools was really facilitated by um, Rosemary Giles and Ellen Star, Ellen Star Gates and some others um, that worked with Jane Adams very closely. So, you know, it's not just about like what happened at Hull House. It's about what was happening broader. And then, you know, very last but not least, I want to say too that, you know, Jane Adams was really trained 
worked very closely in London with um, Pierre de Coubertin, who founded the Olympic movement, you know, the modern Olympic movement. So our history is rooted in not just communities and interventions, but it's also rooted, you know, arguably in the settlement house movement and the Olympic movement as well. So we just got to continue to flex our muscles and see and show people who we are and what we do. And that's the thing, you know, we've really been able to root up, you know, what sports social work is and kind of bring it back to the forefront again. And why would you say is one of the biggest changes you'd like to see happen moving forward? Um, I think it's just, honestly, I think a lot of it is about continuing momentum. And I think that we've really, um, you know, I, I know, I, I know Michigan has, you know, we've, we have our certificate program that we do sports social work education, which is certified by the NASW. Uh, Michigan now has their own program. Um, I would expect others to come in the next few years, but also I think a lot of it is about, it's not, a, it's not only just understanding the environment, but it's about, um, teaching people to have patience too, because like this has not been something that has come overnight. It's been taken a while and we really have to make sure that we um, continue to be patient, but also stay the course and know that there will be, there may not be opportunities, but there's all right away, but that those opportunities will come. Like I've had some friends that, you know, recently who have got some really great offers and great opportunities and are in very influential positions um, at the at respective universities, and you know, um, I know Cigna has a partnership with the NFL where they're basically handling mental health concerns for NFL players very specifically. And one of our members is a very much at the forefront of all that. Um, and there's thousands of other examples that I can't think of at the top of my head. <laughs> I could spend here all day talking about it, but it's just knowing, you know, be patient, stay the course. If, you know, if you're a student and you're not, you know, don't get that job right away that you really want, get the, use those social work skills, continue to build yourself, stay connected. And those opportunities will, will happen in, in, in when the timing is right. And that's a great point. Cause again, there are all are those opportunities coming, but again, it takes, you know, a lot, there's been a lot of changes happen. And even though, you know, in the last 10 years, a lot has happened quickly. And in some ways it might feel quickly, in some ways it might feel it's been a long time. Exactly. But again, things are moving as well. Like another example comes to mind a couple weeks ago, we had Dr. Mark Facilion from University, uh, Millersville University of Pennsylvania, who's on the USA Olympic uh, Mental Health Committee now, in terms of, you know, if a athlete or former athlete needs support, you know, he's someone that they can contact. So again, another person yep. from the alliance. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's like I said, it's just staying patient, building those relationships. And, you know, continuing to know that be present and, um, you know, ready to contribute. I think that that's, that's the best advice I can give is to be present, be active and be ready to contribute and, um, be, you know, be there. And in terms of, like I said, going back to the journal, you know, that is something that's been talked about for a while. It's great to see it grow. You know, what would you say is kind of the vision for the, the journal of sports social work? Well, um, I think it's just about giving, number one, it's about giving sports social work an outlet to publish. And really, I think it kind of confirms the discipline, the niche in social work as a whole. Um, we are advertising on uh, CSWE's page. Um, you know, we have ads running, so that's another avenue. Um, it is an open access journal, so anybody can access it. And I think we've tried to make the the articles accessible as well, like, you know, making sure that they're relevant and it's something that people will read. And um, 
we've done really well with our traffic so far. Um, and also like I would envision, you know, special um, editions of journals as well that will engage other disciplines to, door to, to demonstrate um, like the connections, like for example, like nutrition, um, you know, maybe psychology, maybe um, public health, you know, things like that. I, I'm not speaking out of turn necessarily, but I would envision that, you know, in some respects, the way that we were brought into other journals, like we're going to do the same for other fields. And I think that that's a really cool opportunity. Yeah. And it's great to see that growth happen. I remember when I seen the first edition come out, I was pretty quick to uh, go on and save that, put that aside from my reading, you know, when I got a bit of time, because it's, it's definitely great to see the different perspectives of sports social for sure. Exactly. Jerry, one thing we often do, like I said, you know, before we wrap up is to wrap up questions. So sure. in your mind, you know, being a former college athlete yourself, sports social worker, and into research, what would you th say makes a well athlete? Oh, I think that um, I, th I think um, I was a runner in college for a year and a half. I ran at Catholic University in Washington D.C. Uh, track and cross country, and I think it, you know, it's a, a well athlete is somebody who is able to study what they love, um, you know, compete in a sport that they love. And also, I think somebody who's able to love others, um, you know, you have the time and the space to value those relationships with your family, with your friends, you know, in your faith um, as well, like really to be a well-rounded individual and also to have fun. I mean, really, like, you know, you got to have time for just downtime and fun. So if you can really make all that work, and I think that applies really uh, across the board, especially to like high school athletes, like, you know have fun, embrace the process. Um, if you want to try another sport when, you know, in the off season, do it, you know, like, you know, but also making time for those that you love um, is, is so important and to be loved at the same time to receive it. Um, and then, you know, to love, you know, find other sources of love and, and things that will bring you joy. Like, you know, if it's your faith or if it's, you know, friends or um, like a, a, a community group or something like that. And, um, that's that's to me what makes a well athlete. And developing, like I said, a whole person, not just the athlete yep. itself. Exactly. What is one word of advice you wish you could give your younger self? Change. Um, I say that because I think change is, um, you know, be open to it and know that you're going to change and embrace that change and growth. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest and say that I... Uh, I did experience some challenges as an athlete myself and um, especially when I got to the collegiate level, um, you know, just, you know, I was there really for the team. I was there to just continue my high school experience, which I had fun with, but also knowing that, um, you know, you will change and you will grow. And, um, you know, my, my story is that I actually, I, I chose to terminate my sports career because I wanted to be a social worker and my, <laughs> my sports schedule just didn't align with my class schedule. And that was a really hard change. Um, I was always a good student, but I just never, um, you know, had I not made the decision, you know, I don't know where I'd be, you know, not that I wouldn't be in the, this place talking to you, but like I, my life would probably be very different, but I've been very fortunate that I've, I've kind of stayed the course. Like I've been in social work. I, I made the decision to be a social worker when I was not, you know, a so student and then professional 
you know, eventually that started at 19 and now I'm 42. So this is going on for 23 years now. And it's one of the best decisions I I've made in my life. Um, and one that has changed course over time. Like I've done many different things, but my love for sports has always been there. And, um, you know, so I, I've, I've been able to do a lot of different things and, um, I've just been fortunate that social work has allowed me to change and grow throughout that process. Great answer for sure. And again, social work is a great way for athletes to continue their connection to sport. Even after their career is, you know, towards the end of their career. Yep, exactly. And what would you say brings you peace currently? Oh, I think the thing that brings me peace is um, two things. Knowing that, uh, you know, my family, uh, my wife and children are happy and healthy and that we've, you know, made a good adjustment to Indiana and living in Indiana um, when we moved across the country and it was a good decision for us. So that was, that's important. And the fact that um, that brings me peace, that they're happy, healthy, and, um, you know, things are going pretty well with my career right now. So I'm not saying that there won't be stumbling blocks or there hasn't been stumbling blocks, but, you know, I I feel very uh, at peace with where I'm at. Like just, you know, I like doing what I do. And, um, but also I know there's more to it, you know, like I, I've, I've really learned to set, set boundaries, like, you know, I, um, and to know that, uh, and I think setting those boundaries has really helped me, um, you know, uh, balancing work and life and, uh, you know, downtime and, you know, just taking in the moment that's really allowed me to, um, find some peace. Great answer for sure. And again, you know, thank you again for, you know, all the work and effort and, you know, research and being a voice for sports social work and bringing it back to the forefront in a lot of ways. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, I didn't get to cover um, today, but I really want to say that I want to thank you for that opportunity um, to talk about this. But, you know, I, I think that um, we're going to continue to see a lot of challenges um, in our field, especially like with some policy changes that are, you know, unfortunately marginalized and discriminating against individuals um, who are, um, you know, LGBTQIA+. Um, I'm, I'll be honest and say that I'm concerned about sort of the, the ramifications of a lot of these decisions, but I think our organization, you know, fortunately we're prepared to address these challenges head on and to create athletics, help create athletic spaces where people, everybody feels welcome, everybody feels safe, Everybody feels, you know, that they're able to live out and be the athlete that they wanted to be or, you know, live a life that they feel is, you know, is best for them. And that's a great point in terms of, you know, the role of the alliance there as well in terms of the advocacy piece. And one thing we'll do too on our social media is is tag the alliance and the website there as well. So if anyone has any questions or looking to reach out, they know where to turn to as well. Great. Well, I really appreciate it, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Take care. Folks, if you enjoyed today's episode and want to check out other episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple, Audible, and Podbean. You can also follow us on social media at Wellness Athletic Services on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions or ideas for the show, feel free to email us at wellnessathleticservices at gmail.com. Thank you and stay well. Mm-hmm.